This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today. Yes, that's right. We have moved out of chapter 1 into Mark chapter 2. Um, and so we are just trucking along, right, Charlie? Man, that hat looks great. Hey, you too. Thank you. Hey, you great. Thank you. I, uh, I wasn't planning on wearing a hat today, um, but I, got, I wore a hat yesterday. I went fishing. Um, I'm quite an angler, if you didn't know. Uh, I fish once every six years. Um, and it, if it wasn't for the help of a guy named Steve, we would have caught nothing. But he was like, hey, you need, you need better bait. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. It's fine. But anyways, I wore my hat like this, as I normally do, and I got like nice red burn lines in strategic spaces. And so I was like, I'll just wear a hat today so that we cover that up. Um, but I like hats anyways. So... Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, we're going to look in Mark chapter 2, and um, I mean, we're going to see what, what God has for us. Do I need to, is Mike in here? Hey, Mike. Nope. Do I need to put this fuzzy thing back on? Is it, I hate this thing. Whoop, whoop. No, is this okay? Yeah, all right. I don't see him. That's your loss, Mike. He always tells me I need to wear it, and then he's not in here to tell me again, so that's what you get. So today, Jesus introduces us uh, to a, a major theme um, that we'll see in not only the Gospel of Mark, but that we will see throughout the Bible. Uh, it, it is one of, gosh, I mean, how do, you, how do you really say like, oh, here's the top things to know about the Bible? It's one of the top things to know uh, that God wants us to get, and that is faith. That is the theme of, of faith. If if we look at Mark 2, if we look at this account, if we look at Jesus just with physical eyes, then we are going to miss Jesus. If we just read this and we're like, okay, these are words, this is literature, this is something that will give me good feelings and will maybe help me know how to navigate my own life. If we just look at this as a physical document that was written a couple thousand years ago, but we don't look at this as the living words of God because God is alive, then we're going to miss what God has for us. Faith, faith sees with the spiritual. Faith sees with spiritual eyes. And, and we so often get fixated on the physical world and what's around us. And so if you're now thinking, okay, now this is where you're going to tell me to just like take some blind leap of faith into this, you know, religious world of the unknown and I don't know that I want to do that. Like that's, why does it have to be some blind leap? Um, I'm encourage you to tap on the brakes a little bit and for, for two reasons. One, whether you want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is or not, both positions take faith. Right? If we want to believe that God is God, that God is real, that, that, that God sent Jesus to live and die and rise from the dead in order to give us new life, if you want to believe that, or if you're like, no, 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 I, I, I don't buy that, I don't have enough evidence, both sides of the equation require faith. Today, we cannot empirically, scientifically prove or disprove the existence of God. We cannot prove or disprove Jesus and that he, he lived and died and rose from the dead, right? There's, you're not going to be able to put this in a lab and go, okay, I've done A plus B and I got C, and both sides are going to require faith. It's going to take faith to believe in God and faith to not believe in God. And so faith is really not the issue. We are all living by faith in some way or another. 
And so this idea of like, oh man, to be a Christian is like this blind leap of faith and that's foolish. It's also faith to not. So let's just put that on the table and say, okay, I'm going to have to have faith one way or the other. The good news with Christianity and with this encounter with Jesus is that God actually gives us overwhelming evidence too. That, that Christianity, yes, it's going to require faith, but he also gives us so many proofs along the way that, that I believe help us in our faith, help us see that God is who he says he is. So let's pick up in Mark chapter two. We'll read it together and then we'll just talk about it. Verse one, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, if you have your own Bible and you like to take notes in it, I like to underline stuff. I I would underline that phrase. If you like highlight on your phone or your iPad or whatever. Um, And when Jesus saw their faith. It wasn't that Jesus changed. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't who he was. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't present, but something new entered the scene here, right? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Let me just say, if someone turns and talks to me, addressing the questions that I did not say out loud, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen, right? That's okay. He does this a couple times in the New Testament. All right, Jesus, I see what you're doing here. Verse 10, but that you may know, that you may have proof, that you may have evidence that the Son of Man, another name for Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. This is the living and active word of God. May we hear it as from him and let him speak to us. So what's going on here? Jesus has returned to Capernaum and um, has been the case. His word has spread. He's famous, right? He's, He's come onto the scene and he cast out a demon in the temple, right? So much so that his fame spreads all over. And then everybody starts bringing their sick to him and he's healing them. And then there's this leper, this leper that nobody should even touch, much less be near, right? Much, they're supposed to legally announce their presence by saying, unclean, unclean, so that people can back away. And Jesus touches this person that should not be touched and heals the person. The, the leprosy leaves. 
And so the fame of Jesus is spreading all over. And so he's back in Capernaum and it's, you know, the word spreads that he's back in a home and many gather around to hear him teach, to hear his words. There's there's an eagerness, an anticipation to to hear the words of Jesus. Then verse three, they came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So you've got these four men who are working their way through a crowd. And it says that when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they went on the roof, removed the roof, and made an opening to drop, Jesus, to drop this paralyzed friend at the feet of Jesus. So what's going on here? So if we look at it with physical eyes, we're going to see one thing. If we look at it with spiritual eyes, we're going to see another. So if we're just physically like, all right, what's happening here? You've got a crowd of people. I mean, they're like, there is no social distancing happening at all, right? So it's just shoulder to shoulder. They're pressed up into the door, man. They are just listening to Jesus speak, right? And and there's no getting through there. There's no getting around. There's just this massive crowd of people. And you've got four friends who are carrying a paralyzed buddy on, on a bed. So A, if you can't even get through on your own, how are you going to get through in a group of four with a paralytic on on the bed? You're not, right? And so they're like, how do we get our buddy to Jesus? Idea. We'll go up the side stairs onto the roof and we'll dig a hole in the roof. The roof was not, you know, like this where you could, like you would need a lot of work to dig a hole here. The roof was more of this mud and clay and tar and grass, like kind of all put together. So you could literally dig a hole. And so these friends are so desperate to get their, their paralyzed buddy to Jesus that they are digging a hole in the roof in order to drop Jesus down, to drop, to drop their friend down at the feet of Jesus. Why? Why are they doing this? I, I think sometimes, right, we, we read these stories and we forget that these are real people with a, a real home that's not their home and in a real situation. Why would they climb onto the roof of someone else's home and dig a hole in in someone else's home. Like that's a lot of risk to put themselves out there that much, right? Like put yourself in that scenario. How many of you right now, if you were like, man, I got a sick buddy, would be like, move out of the way. Let me make a scene. Let me, let me get in front of everybody. Let me do some destruction to this person's property so that I can rig up some system with my paralyzed Like I tried to put myself in this scene this morning, you know, and like walking upstairs with a paralyzed friend on a bed onto a roof. Like it just seems like, okay, this could go real bad real fast. You know, like we could, if I, I'm probably gonna drop him I'm, I'm a spiller. I'm just a spiller. I spill things all the time. Like, I will drop, I'll be like, oh, shoot. And there he goes, right? Like, like it's a real scenario. It's not just some fictional story. And now they're, they're literally doing damage to whoever's home this is. Hey, don't worry about it. We're just going to dig a hole. No big deal. All right? Don't, it's fine. Little sunlight. It's good. It's good for the skin. You know? Like, we got to remember these are real. And then, what if Jesus is like, what are you doing? Dirt's falling down on him, right? He's like, I was in the middle of my, I was in point number two. I was about to drive it home. 
and you're digging a hole in the roof. They don't know how Jesus is going to respond. You know, like how many of you would feel comfortable to be like, hey, let's go interrupt this person's speech because I've, I've got something to deal with here. Okay, so come on, put yourself in. These are real people. And then, and then, what if, what if they do all of this work, right? They've, they've navigated themselves up onto the roof. They've got their paralytic friend. They dig a hole, a hole big enough to drop a human person through. They, they pulley and lever system this guy down. And then what if Jesus is like, what do you, mean, what do you, want, what do you want me to do? I, I, can't, I can't do this. What if nothing happens? How embarrassing would that be? Right? Like how humiliating would it be to put yourself out there so much to to now have a roof repair bill coming your way and then what if he doesn't come through? Like let's be honest here. When we put ourselves in that story, they are taking a lot of risk. I think the greatest of which is the potential humiliation of looking stupid. Nobody likes to look stupid in front of a crowd of people. Why would they do all of that? Because they believed so much so that Jesus could and would do something that no obstacle would get in their way of getting to Jesus. They had real faith in Jesus. That's the spiritual aspect that Jesus saw. He wasn't frustrated that they ruined his sermon. He wasn't frustrated that like he was in midpoint and this roof just kind of opens up and a, a person, like, I mean, Mike had someone walk up in front of a sermon once and like literally with jingle bells on their backpack and it was like, what do we do with this? You know, like Jesus wasn't all, I mean, he was, because, because Jesus saw faith, real faith in their hearts. And faith, faith is the love language of God. Faith pleases God. More than a crowd of people listening to him Five people demonstrating faith, that's what Jesus wanted. That's what pleased the heart of God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Listen, there's some, there's some words that are, that are big words. Not big as in like long letters and big words, but big as in like, man, this carries some weight. Can you put that verse back up there? Without faith, it is, what's that next word? Impossible. Not mostly impossible, not unlikely, not like, I don't know, maybe on good days. Without faith, it is im. It's weird when you break it down by the syllables. That's, that weird word sounds funny now. I don't know. It is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is not possible for our actions, our singing, our church attendance, 
our community group attendance, the way we interact with our spouses and our friends, coworkers, the way we do our jobs without faith, it's not pleasing to God. It's impossible to please him. Yo, yo, that's heavy. That, that tells me and you right here, right? Like, okay, what is God looking for in me? He's looking for faith. What pleases the heart of God? What's his love language? What makes him happy? What, is, what does he love to see from us? It's, it's faith. It's, it's faith. Faith is what pleases God. What we're going to see here in Mark chapter 2 and that we'll see throughout the book of Mark is that faith is the catalytic agent that pleases the heart of God and positions us to receive his good. Faith is the required agent that pleases God and positions us to receive his good. It's, it's massive. It's massive. So what is faith then? Right? What, what is it? Because I know a lot of people who have said that they believe in God, but I legitimately doubt that they have a real faith. I'm, I would bet you know, you know that too. Heck, I bet you've been in the same boat. I've been there. I, I cognitively believe in God, but I don't know that I have this faith that is pleasing to him. Right? The, the demons believe in God. Shoot, we saw it in Mark chapter one. They knew Jesus was the son of God. Like they got, they, their theology was spot on. They believed in God, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So there has to be a difference between belief and faith. This cognitive belief and this faith that is pleasing to God. So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a complete trust and confidence in someone or something so much so that your life acts in response to it. Faith is a belief and confidence. It is a, a, a trust and a belief that moves our life to act in response to that faith. Right? So I can grab this chair right here and I can size it up, right? I can go all engineering on it. And, and, and I don't have a clue what that means, but there's some engineers here who know what that means, right? And I could be like, okay, this angle is at a 37 degree angle and it looks like the material of the cushion along with the, you know, okay, yes, yeah, this chair will hold me. Yeah, that was, that was engineering. If, if everyone's like, I'm an engineer, and you're like, what does that mean? That's what it means. I just showed you. Right? And all my engineers are like, go away, you don't have a clue. And I'm like, I don't know what it means to be an engineer. There's like 4,000 different engineers. Goodness. Thank you. You're welcome. I just answered it all. So I can engineer this sucker and I can look at it and I can tell you with conviction, I believe this chair, it will, it will hold me and support me. If I, if I were to sit in it, I really do believe that it will hold me. So sit in it. Nah, no, it's okay. I believe it, but I, I could fall. It might drop me. You know, like, so I can cognitively believe something, but faith says, no, no, this chair is going to hold me and I'm going to sit. 
That's the difference between a belief and a faith. Real faith is a belief that with such conviction that we, we stake our lives on it. We let go of control and we trust that whatever it is we're believing in is actually going to come through with what it says. I trust that this chair is actually going to hold me and so I risk humiliation of it collapsing and me looking like a fool in front of you. I risk physical injury because, I mean, this is a good, you know, two-foot drop. And, you know, I, I, I take those risks because I trust that it's going to do what it says it will do. And so faith, the faith that we see from these five, the faith that pleased Jesus, that he was willing for a hole to be ripped into a roof and, and for his sermon to be messed up when he had crowds of people gathered around. What pleased him was that these people so trusted in Jesus that no obstacle would get in their way. No fear of humiliation would stop them from following him. No, no fear of failure would stop them from relying on him and getting to him. They truly believed that he could and would do what he said he would do and their lives acted in response to it. That's the faith that pleases God. And so Jesus says, hey, here's the deal, y'all. I've come to, to live on this earth, and then I'm going to die on the cross. And that death is in your place to suffer the punishment for your sins. But I'm not going to stay dead. Jesus says, I'm going to rise from the dead three days later, which he did. And the reason he rises from the dead is so that he could offer us these, this spiritual transaction, not a physical transaction necessarily, but a spiritual transaction where our dead spirits could be made alive by faith in Jesus. And then he says, hey, if you trust me, follow me. Lay down your life, stop trusting in your own way and, and devote your life to me. Trust in me to forgive your sins and to give you life and follow me. And the faith that pleases God is a faith that goes, man, I don't have all my questions answered, but I believe this guy and I'm going to follow him. Do you have that faith? Have you truly trusted in Christ alone as your answer? Faith in Jesus believes Jesus when he says, hey, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. I got it all under control. Trust me. I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. I feed them, I'll feed you. True faith in Jesus actually lets go of worry. That's a tough one for me. That's a tough one. Faith that believes the Bible when it says that his spirit will actually indwell us and give us the power we need to walk in forgiveness, to walk in love, patience. Faith believes that we actually have all the patience we need by the spirit of God in us. Faith believes that I actually can do good to the one who wrongs me because the spirit of God in me enables me to do good. And then faith walks in doing good. 
Faith doesn't just cognitively believe it. Faith acts on it. Faith doesn't just believe like, okay, yeah, I believe that I can love this person. Faith then goes and does good, actively loves that person because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will give me what I need to live out obedience to what he's called me. True faith that pleases God. Believes that if God says all things are possible, dadgum, all things are possible. So I'm going to walk towards that Red Sea and trust that somehow, some way, God's getting me on the other side. True faith, it, it walks in obedience. So what kind of faith do you have in Jesus? Have you trusted him as your savior? To, to spiritually save you? Do you have a cognitive belief, but have you, have you really trusted and surrendered your life to him? Are there areas where God's inviting you to grow in your faith? Faith is a, is a growing thing. It, it's not just like one, one and done, it's complete. It's something we grow in. Are there areas where you, you've not trusted God and he's inviting you to let go and trust him? To trust that he's, he's good for it. What obstacles are there that, that right now are bigger than your faith in him? That you just can't see how this is going to go. This is going to go all right. You just don't see how this is possible. Are you willing to surrender those to him and say, all right, I trust you with this. I, I actually trust you to be in control of my life. The faith that these five had, the faith that pleases God is a faith that not only believes in him cognitively, but then the life follows. Actually trusts, sits in his presence. What kind of faith do you have? And if you're thinking, I don't have the faith. Okay, good. Be honest with where you are is the first step. It's okay to not be okay. It really is. But let's not stay there. I think the prayer for us is, hey God, I, I believe kind of, sort of. I need you to help me with the rest of my belief. I need, I need you to give me this faith. And that prayer comes straight from the New Testament. If it's okay there, it's okay for us. God, I'm not there yet. Will you help me? That's a prayer he loves to answer. So these five, they demonstrate this incredible faith, this faith of actually believing Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? Verse five, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Why did they dig a hole in the roof? It's to drop their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus, right? He couldn't walk. They, they were hoping Jesus would make him walk, right? That, that's why they dropped their paralyzed friend. Why did Jesus, like this is, not the, this is not the response I would have expected. Hey, Jesus, man, I don't, I don't think you're seeing this right. His legs don't work. Can you make his legs work? Why are you talking about sins, right? Like that's not at all the, the turn that I would have expected in that scenario. What about you? Just me? 
Y'all are, y'all are more spiritual than me. I'd have been like, Jesus, hey, that's great. What about his legs? Why did, Jesus, why did Jesus respond with, your sins are forgiven? Why did Jesus take their faith and go, this is beautiful, your sins are forgiven? Why, why there? Jesus would say in another conversation, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Translation to Mark chapter 2, what good is it to have working legs and a dead spirit? What good is it to walk around on earth for 10, 20, 30 more years and forfeit eternity with me? Jesus was, was helping them see that, that we oftentimes get so fixated on the physical world and we miss that the spiritual world is why we were created. We get so fixed on, on the circumstances of our lives that, that, yes, God actually does care about, but he wants us to connect our hearts with him first. That he's more concerned with our spiritual health and well-being and life than our physical health and well-being and life. And so God, Jesus, he's like, man, you want healing? I got your healing, but it's not your legs. It's your spirit. It's your soul that I'm going to heal first. Because greater than the physical external circumstances is the internal spiritual posture and position of our heart. And Jesus would say, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? That's, there's something greater. You see, this man, he came in here with, with legs that didn't work, but what he didn't know is that it was his spirit, it was his soul that was broken and dead. He was created to have communion with God. He was created to have the fullness of life in God's presence. That's not just words that are good for, to quote from Psalm 16. No, no, we are created to have the fullness of life in the presence of God. We're not created to just walk around with physical legs that work. We're created to commune and to know God. And this man did not know God. His relationship with God was broken because he was sinful, not because his legs didn't work. His spirit was dead because he was sinful, and that separates him from a holy God. The greatest need for him was that the Sin in his life would be removed so that he could have a relationship with God again. That was the greatest need of his heart. That was the greatest need of his life. And so Jesus removed that obstacle of sin so that he could be reconciled back into a relationship with God. How how does Jesus do that? That's why Jesus would go to the cross. It's on the cross that Jesus pays the price for our sins so that that obstacle of relational connection with God can be removed. And then in the resurrection, he says, hey, this offers for you. I'm alive, I'm good for it. I can give you this spiritual transaction. Trust me and I'll remove your sins and you can be restored into the presence of God. Man, God cares about your relationships. God cares about your physical health. God cares about your job situation. God cares about your mortgage bill. God cares about those things. But more than anything, God cares about our eternal hearts with him. God's got the big picture in mind. Not just the small physical world we get here. 
And so he wants us to see him and to have a relationship with him. And it's in trusting Jesus that that's possible. It's in true faith that that's possible. Jesus alone can forgive our sins. Jesus alone can give us new life today and for eternity. That's what Jesus gives this man. The forgiveness of sins. It's this catalytic faith. It's this trust in him. We may look at this and go, wait, time out, time out, time out, time out. He didn't even, he didn't even pray the prayer. What are we supposed to do with that? Aren't you supposed to pray some prayer? Like he didn't even go forward and talk to the pastor. Aren't you supposed to believe in your heart and then confess your sins and then ask for forgiveness? Like he didn't confess his sins. What are we supposed to do with this? What Jesus saw with spiritual eyes is that he had a heart fully surrendered to Jesus. The, the method of getting there, that's, it's not as important. His heart was fully surrendered to Jesus and it was evidenced in that he would do anything and everything to get to Jesus. He trusted him fully. So when Jesus says, hey, by the way, you're sinful, I'm gonna die on the cross for your sins and rise from the dead, he's like, all right, cool. I already trust you with everything. Let's go. They trusted Jesus fully. Do you trust Jesus fully? That's what saves us. That's what makes us new. Jesus can and will forgive our full record of sins against God. These people trusted him. They believed him. They followed him. Their lives were changed. Man, we got a record of sin that we like to hold on to. The invitation from Jesus is, hey, trust me, I'll take care of that. Come on. At the same time, there were those that doubted, right? Verse six, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning their hearts. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why is he saying this? He's, he's blaspheming. He's, he's seeking to take the place of God. He's claiming to be God himself. These, these scribes, man, they, they knew the Old Testament. They believed in God of the Bible. They were very, very devout and religious. And so they looked at this Jesus guy and they were like, hey, there's one of two options here. Either you're God in the flesh or you are a liar claiming to be God. And they just could not get past the fact that the Messiah did not come to overthrow Rome and create some physical kingdom, but that the Messiah came to create a spiritual kingdom of people that would have a spiritual connection with God. They couldn't get past that. They were stuck on the physical world and they couldn't spiritually see. And so they deduced then, you're a liar and you're claiming to be God. And they hardened their hearts to the truth of Jesus. Romans 1 says that it's not that we don't know about God. I actually believe that everyone is created with an innate belief in God. It's that over time we suppress the truth of God. That's what Romans 1 says. We, we push the truth of God down. We harden our hearts. We push it away. And eventually, if you push something away far enough, it's going to get to the place where you can no longer even see it or believe it's there. And when we harden our hearts to what God is telling us, we're pushing him away. We're, we're building a wall 
of hesitation and making it more and more difficult to see and to receive his word. And they hardened their hearts to the truth of Jesus. They couldn't get past the physical. Don't harden your hearts. Man, I, I know firsthand a number of times where I'm like, I know God is telling me to do this. I, I just, I know what he is saying. And then I don't do it and it just makes it more difficult the next time and more difficult the next time, more difficult the next time. When he speaks to you, respond. When you see him, receive it. Don't harden your hearts. So they didn't believe him in Jesus, I love this. He knows what they're thinking. He says, why do you question these things in your heart? What's easier? What's easier for me to do? Say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Right, so if Mike is paralyzed and we bring him up here on the stage and we lay him down and, and you can stay there, you don't have to, you're good. I thought you were like, yeah. That would kill the whole thing if you walked up here, right? <laughs> so if he comes up here and he's paralyzed, what's easier for me to do? Tell him, hey, your sins are forgiven or tell him, get up and walk, right? It's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven because what are you gonna do? How are you gonna prove that? You can't disprove that, right? That's, that's the spiritual level. All right, you can't, you can't do anything with that. But for me to say, hey, get up and walk, well, shoot, now I just took the spiritual into the physical and you can, you can disprove me there. You can mock me there, right? Like you can tell, he's a liar. And so Jesus is like, okay, what's easier, y'all? To tell him your sins are forgiven or get up and walk, but so that you can know that I truly can forgive sins and did forgive this man's sins, get up and walk. Dude gets up and walks. See, do I believe that Jesus, that God still heals like that today? I do. I 1,000% do. Do I believe that my faith lacks in seeing that happen? I also do believe that. That's an area that I believe God's stretching me to trust and to grow in. But God heals and he does these signs and wonders and miracles, not because that's what's most important because it helps our faith. It helps us to see the spiritual reality because God is kind enough to give us proofs to let us see the spiritual in the physical. He, he helps us along the way. He gives us these evidences. That's why he did this. So that you may know that I can forgive sins. Hey dude, get up and walk, go on. The greatest proof that God has given us in trusting him today, and, and you and I, we have to do something with this today. You don't get to push this off. You're, you're here, you're stuck, like don't go anywhere now. You're, you're, you're gonna have to hear this and decide for yourself is what do we do with the fact that no one has ever found the body of Jesus? Man, we can, we can talk and debate like, oh, well, you know, this or that. Jesus was a historical figure. You remove that outside of Christianity. That's not a debatable question. Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. Again, you can take that outside of Christianity. That's not a debatable question. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, Joseph's tomb. You can remove that from Christianity. That's not a debatable question. That is a historical fact. It's also a fact that no one has found his body. And Rome and Judaism had every reason to disprove this theory that Jesus rose from the dead. They had all the motivation in the world if, if, he, if his body was dead somewhere to go find that body and to disprove it. 
But there's never been a proof of the dead body of Jesus. And yet there's been over 500 eyewitnesses that testify to the resurrection of Jesus. There are men and women who were cowards and bailed on Jesus who now were giving their lives to follow him only three days later. Why does someone named Peter deny Jesus to a teenage slave girl and that a few ch- and then a few chapters later in Acts is standing in front of the authorities of his town is like, no, I can't stop speaking about Jesus, right? Because he's seen the risen Jesus. And so the greatest proof we have in the physical world of the spiritual reality is that this man named Jesus said he was God, said he was gonna die on a cross, said he was gonna rise from the dead, and then no one's been able to find his body. We have to do something with that. Now we can sit here and we can say, no, I don't buy it. And that's the faith that you are choosing to believe in because it is faith. Or we can go, truly, this is the son of God and I will follow him to the end. Also faith. That faith tells us that we receive eternal life in Jesus today and forever. What kind of faith do we have? What's your faith in? It's faith that pleases God. It's faith that connects us to him. It's faith that transforms our lives. And he's kind enough to give us proofs along the way. And here's my belief, church. I believe that as our faith grows, we're actually gonna see more and more and more evidence and proof of his spirit at work in us. More than our minds can even fathom at this point. But faith is that catalytic agent that pleases the heart of God and positions us to receive his goodness. If we don't have faith, we're not positioned to receive it. If we don't set the sails, it doesn't matter if the wind is blowing. Our sailboat's not going anywhere. Faith is just setting the sails and trusting that God's gonna move. And I believe he's shown it here. I believe we'll see it again in our lives. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.